Welcome back to the Breakdown Podcast. What are we talking about today? The Super Rugby Playoff scenarios going forward. It's the quarterfinals. Old coaches, new tricks. I'm interested to see whether or not we've got different coaching coming back into Super Rugby. Does it make a difference? And the World Cup hopefuls this weekend making one last push. And I want to talk about the New Zealand under-20 side, which is going to a World Cup after their performances against a Wallaby under-20 side. To do all of that... Ken Laban is going to join me, which means we might talk about some of it. We might talk about all of it. We've got some time in front of us, Ken. First and foremost, though, the playoffs have finally arrived. Are you excited for the weekend of Super Rugby? Now we're down to the final eight. Yeah, that's interesting. When we talk about the playoff weekend and we talk about the final eight, uh, the Waratahs and the Drua, they get there with a 6-8 and eight record, 43%. Uh, and the Reds, who came in eighth with five and nine, come in at 36%. So the bottom three teams in the playoffs lost more games than they won, but they qualified. We talk about a standard of excellence, the pursuit of excellence, all of those one-liners. Um, Jeff, about you know lifting the bar and raising standards, and I can't help but think that if the South African teams um, had participated in that competition, this whole playoff picture would have looked a way lot different, probably would have had um, a lot more zing to it um, in terms of uh, of interest. And obviously the competitive level and intensity would have been um, up there. So, you know, whilst we're all excited because we're getting to the business end of the season, I also hope that for the current state of Super Rugby um, Pacific involving Australia and New Zealand, that this is a watershed moment and that we're able to sit back put all the emotion of, you know, the playoffs and the drama to one um, to one side and say, is this the competition? Is this the playoff that we want? Is, is this the level of world-class intensity that the Super Rugby competition um, was in when you would go to Alice Park and play in front of 50,000 people or you would go to Eden Park um, for the Blues playing the Waratahs and it would be a packed house? Um, I think we all know the answer to that, so I'm stating the obvious. But I just want to put it out there that, um, you know, whilst the Chiefs are world-class, the Crusaders are world-class, and of course they deserve um, their positions um, in, the, in the top four, as do, um, as do the Brumbies um, as well. And obviously the Hurricanes have been going um, been going great guns as well in the Blues. But, you know, I just, I just think that I, you know, I'm just hoping that uh, as excited as we are um, for the playoffs, I think some of the games are going to be one-sided. Some of them are going to be very predictable. Um, but the one thing that we want um, in our sport that makes it really compelling is uncertainty. And I don't think we've got that in the first round of the playoffs. What I love about you, Ken, is you've pivoted on me right in the very first answer, which is great because I was going to go down one path and you've taken me down another in the first three minutes, which is perfect. Because this is what Lester Whanganuku talked about for him and his challenge he's decided to take on in France. That's the thing that excites me. The money is just the bonus. The real excitement is competing against some of the best international players in the world every week, and the majority of them are up there. So clearly, the Haguares are no longer in Super Rugby. Their players have returned back to Europe. The Springboks and their side a number of those more senior players have spread themselves across the world as well. They haven't necessarily stayed, and a number have gone back to play for South African sides who are playing in, in uh, URC. 
and, and that that sort of alignment. But what you're saying is is that when you look at the table and you look at the performance and you look at the teams that have made the playoffs, what if I said to you then this weekend the quarterfinals ended up being far more competitive than we anticipate and it doesn't reflect the records of the teams and the Waratahs push the Blues at Eden Park and the Drua go down to Christchurch from 35 degrees to zero degrees because I was in Christchurch yesterday and it was zero degrees last night. What if they throw some things at this, the Crusaders tomorrow night in Christchurch? Would that change your mind around we need a re- rethink? Or um, there's some chat and talk about reshaping the seasons. That's just come out in the last couple of days about when the rugby championship might be played, when super rugby might be played. Are you determined to think that we need to find a way to engage with South Africa again? Jeff, if the South African teams were in Super Rugby Pacific this year, the Waratahs, the Drua and the Reds wouldn't be in the top eight. Um, the, point I'm, the point I'm making is that if, we, if we're committed to the pursuit of excellence, then you're only going to do that if you've got the excellent teams and the excellent players playing. And, um, you know, Whanganuku, um, as, as you allude to, you know, chasing the opportunity to play with all the big dogs. Uh, I'm not saying there's no big dogs in the Super Rugby uh, Pacific competition. I'm not saying that um, for a moment. What I'm saying is that if we look at the whole competition in its entirety, what can we do to make it better? What can we do to make the standard better? What can we do to make it more compelling? Um, you know, as much as all of us have tried um, to stay interested and um, and stay focused, it's not quite um, the same with the absence of um, of the other teams. And of course, on the day, anything can happen. Um, and if, you know, and of course, if the Reds get up or the and the Drua um, do get up, you know, well, what will then that say about the level of competition? And um, I would think that you know the, the the teams that are in the top four, I would expect um, that the only you know, if they don't get through, it, you know, it obviously will be a huge upset. But of course, you know those the, the bottom four teams in the playoffs, they won't be thinking like that. The Hurricanes will be thinking that they're a chance to win this um, competition, they've, they've got, and they've got the record to prove it. You know, but with regard to teams qualifying for the playoffs with losing records. Um, well, you know, they, they can talk big and they can talk tough, uh, but the reality is their performances in the regular season don't give us much incentive to believe they're going to get it done over this weekend of the playoffs. We all hope they do. I think it'd be fantastic for the competition for eight to beat one. Um, and now we've got now we've got some interest um, in it, but I don't see that happening. See, and I, I agree with you because I, I've said for uh, probably the last three months after looking at the quality of competition and the performances of teams and depth, um, there are sides that have continually struggled. The Jaguares for me would have been a team that would well and truly not just be in the top eight, they'd be in the top six and would be contending for a title given the level of international experience. The one that we exposed them to in the first iteration with the iteration they were involved in Super Rugby they evolved and improved and got to a point where they they could come in and, and clearly step up with the teams that are playing in it now. Um, I mean, this, let, let's go through, though. Let's have a look at them, and you start talking about, look, um, I think the Waratahs have won once here in, in how knows long in, in Eden, at Eden Park in Auckland. They're up against the Blues team, which how much of this for the Blues team, and I put a lens on something on every game now because in less or just over seven days' time, they're going to select an all-black squad, right? So 
every every game's an opportunity for guys to put their hand back up. There are players whose seasons are done. If you're the Highlanders, you're Shannon Frizzell, you're Aaron Smith, um, they're over. Ethan DeGroote, uh, your opportunity to shine. Billy Harmon is done. If you look at the Blues and the Waratahs, is this a big is this a big game for the Blues? Leon McDonald's coaching tenure there. The fact they didn't deliver a title last year after being the dominant side. Are they the same team? They return Bowden Barrett to the fold. Should this be comfortable? Are there a lot of questions about a Blues team that we need first answered tonight at Eden Park? Well, I think um, um, I think you can be the dominant team without you can be a dominant team without winning the title. We've seen that across <clears throat> across all sports um, over the year, where the team that wins the minor premiership or the team that dominates in the uh, in the in the regular season for one reason or another get tipped over by another championship side when they get um, to the playoffs. None of that, to my view, detracts from um, the quality of Leon McDonald as a coach, the quality of his playing roster, or the form of some of his players. You know, they've been fast and furious with um, Finlay at nine, Bowden at ten, Rico Ioane dominating um, dominating the midfield, Bryce Heem, who's been sensational for them, Peter Feta, um, as well, and Caleb Clark. So, you know, it's not rocket science to work out how they're going to play. Off every quick ruck, they're going to shift the ball to the edge. Um, that's been good for them. And when their passes stick and they all, they're all in sync, they're a fantastic team, one of the most entertaining teams um, in the world to play, um, to watch. But, of course, you know, what, has, what, has, what has always been their demise is when they've been in a situation where teams have been able to, one, shut them down, two, jam them in their own quarter, and three, denied them the ball. Classic Crusaders championship um, mentality. And uh, even though they might have got tipped over um, when it mattered, it still didn't detract from the fact that, you know, the form of some of their players has been fantastic over the last um, couple of years. And, for example, Rico Ioane, in my view, doesn't get the credit he deserves for the quality of player mm-hmm. that he is. Um, it's I think he's a, it's really I think he's a world-class um, player, and he's the absolute key to the success of the Blues in the next couple of weeks. That's interesting. You talk about that, I and mean, I, it's uh, you talk about going to the edge. I think they've been an underperforming team in, in regards to giving the ball to the guys. Talia himself has done it. I think a lot of his own back. He's gone and looked for work. He's counterattacked really, really well. They've made some interesting selections in the Stephen Pettifetta didn't do enough last week to put Zahn Sullivan. On the bench, San Sullivan has been doing a good job for the Blues. I mean, this is a team that is stacked. Offatoanga Fasi, Nepalalala, Akira Yawani, Dalton Papali'i, Hoskins Satutu. I'm sorry, but I look at their, and this is to your point, you look at the Waratahs season, and last week the Waratahs lost the Moana Pacifica. Now, taking nothing away from MP, but they hadn't won a game all year. And the Waratahs were bitterly disappointing. Michael Hooper's last game, at home for that side, they didn't show up. I'm not sure they can show up tonight and beat this Blues team. I think this, but my my point is the fact that seven days ago, the Highlanders were fighting for their lives in Super Rugby and the Blues couldn't put them away. The Blues are number one at visiting the opposition 22 in this competition. They're the number one team. They get in better positions than anybody else and they don't come away with points. They don't come away with tries. And... I look at their performance through the course of the year and they've been incredibly unconvincing for me. And I, I, I want to understand why. You know, now maybe they've had some critical injuries. Look, Bowden Barrett had his best game against the Reds away from home three weeks ago, but ultimately he was being injured for the last two weeks. 
I think for a lot of these guys, they you know um, they need to find some form. I'm interested in the fact Harry Plummer's now on the bench after doing such a good job for them. They've decided that Bryce Heem is going to be their second five eight. Um, is that a a long term proposition? I mean, I'm you know I'm just if I'm some of these All Blacks, I'm probably I'm expecting more from them. I mean, if they're going to make a push for a title, Ken, this should. This should be a dominant performance. This should be a, you know what, all of this building we've been talking about, um, we've been winning ugly. At some point, you shouldn't just win ugly. You should win well. Don't you want to put other teams on notice? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that all teams reflect their coach. Um, Leon McDonald, as you know, was a brilliant centre, um, was a brilliant fullback um, as well. And Tana Umanga uh, is in there with a significant with a significant say. So I don't have any doubt that, um, you know, agreeing and even allowing for what you've just said, that um, they still have a belief that shifting the ball to the edge is their strongest. Bryce Heem, well, you look at Bryce Heem and you look at Harry Plummer, why, and if we try to, you know, we try to second guess or to analyse the logic behind it, Bryce Heem is bigger. Um, Maybe he's got an offload to his game. Maybe there's a little bit of um, Sonny Bill Williams um, to his game. Uh, maybe they're looking for him to go to the line off Bowden Barrett, off those short balls, stay upright in the tackle, and then recall coming outside in on those unders lines or whatever they call them um, you know, these days to uh, to crack the defence in the midfield and then put Talia away. Um, to me, that would be the that would be the only reason that I could come up with to suggest um, why Bryce has been preferred over Harry, who, as you say, has been um, has been very good and, and Sullivan. Well. Who would have thought that at this stage of the year Sullivan would have held out Perofeta, given um, where he was in the picking order not that long ago? Sure, he's had a disrupted year in um, in 2023, but I still expect um, I expect a highly entertaining game with lots of ball movement from both the Waratahs, um, who have nothing to lose, um, and obviously dealing with the anguish of um, being embarrassed last week with their performance. Um, against Moana Pacifica, and that's not disrespecting Moana Pacifica um, in any way, but um, the Waratahs, um, even with their modest win-loss record of 6-8, and eight, are still capable of playing good football. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I, I, it's not that I don't give them a chance, I don't give them much of a chance, which is, you know, as to your point, the, the top teams, clearly there's a golf and gap, and no more so than the Chiefs and Reds. I mean, the Reds were the one team that knocked over the Chiefs. It's been well documented, but the, the Chiefs didn't have a number of the key players at New Plymouth. Um, the Reds were inspired by a second-half performance. The Chiefs didn't put them away early in the first half, which they could have done. But if, there is, if there's an opportunity for some Chiefs players, once again, I'll put another lens on it, and that's that all-black lens. If there's some opportunity for Chief players to continue to impress uh, the selectors and give them one more reason to keep them in the conversation for one more week because ultimately they're only going to get to the end of a semi-final if the Chiefs get by it. I look at this group, um, they're clearly the most settled. They've clearly been the deepest. They've been least affected by injuries. You know, a lot of their guys have come back from injury in the back half of the season. You've had Josh Lord, Anton Leonard-Brown. You know, they're looking really, really sharp. So if I I look at them um, and I look at the Chiefs, is there much more they can do to convince you than the number one team? Or do they just need to keep proving it? Uh, well, 13, 13 and 1, um, qualified number 1. You can say what you like um, about them, but they are the number 1 team in Super Rugby um, in the regular season in 2023. Of that, 
there is no doubt. Whether or not that's going to be enough for them to get a title um, in the playoffs, you'd have to say that it is, but anything can happen um, on the day. And there's just a small matter of the six-time consecutive winner um, that want to send their coach out on a, um, on a strong note um, as well. And, you know, I've talked before about um, the coaches' personalities and their teams, um, and we look at the uh, we look at the makeup of um, of the Chiefs team. Uh, we look at the makeup of their coaching staff, and that includes um, Ross Filippo, who's in there as well, alongside um, Clayton and uh, and Roger and David Hill, uh, Roger Randall, and um, we look at the tough, uncompromising, never take a backward step at the breakdown. How good they are in contact. How good they are in defence. How good they are without. Um, the ball, and and a player like Damian McKenzie who's given us all confidence that um, after Bowden and Richie uh, Moonga go, you know, there's enough for us to get excited that he's going to be one player that's going to be a contender to hit that number 10 jersey, and it'll be interesting to see what what comes in the next few weeks with regard to potentially, you know, what others could sit alongside him. So, uh, you know, I would think that the Chiefs go into the playoffs as the favourite team to win Super Rugby Pacific this year. Because they're they're impressive. I, I, I can't be more impressed with what they've done this year. The way that they've played the game, you talk about a, a team that can get to the edge, but their edge has been really, really good, and their edge hasn't been All Blacks. Potential All Blacks, Amoni Nalawa and Atini Nana Satoru. Um, Sean Stevenson's been great. Um, but then then I look at you know a team that uh, they had to bring in John Ryan uh, early on in the season to cover up some injury issues they had at prop. But Aiden Ross and Masoni Tokiaho. I mean, this is a, a team that's laden with with All Blacks, with experience. Um, I think for the next week, it's probably probably two weekends, it's probably a big big opportunity for Brad Weber because he's probably, for me, him and Luke Jacobson are in these two positions where we have multiple options. We have multiple players who can play similar styles but not the same. And Jacobson might be in direct competition with a Ethan Blackadder who's returning to the bench for the Crusaders in terms of his versatility. Um, Billy Harmon's shown a huge amount for the Highlanders, the shining light of this season. Brad Weber, we clearly know, has got Aaron Smith, Finlay Christie. You'd have to say Cam Roygaard, who's been so very, very good. But he's not the same brief as Cam Roygaard, not the same type of player. Similar impact running-wise, though. Similar in terms of the fact that they've got the speed that you can use in your attack. And then you've got Falau Fakatava, whose brief return for the Highlanders has been, I would say, it's shown once again some of the, the nice things about his game. But for me, is there any way that if McKenzie has a standout three weeks or two weekends to start with, and Brad Weber follows on with some of his great form, is Brad the guy for for you maybe that is probably in the most danger of not quite not quite meeting what they're looking for? I hope that's not true, um, Jeff. But you know, I suspect I, hope so too. I expect I expect that it might be. There's no way in Super Rugby you get anywhere without a 9 and 10 of world-class um, level. And that's exactly that combination of, um, of Brad and Damien. And, and, and Brad's, had, Brad's been the constant because he's had a couple of other options in that number 10 um, jersey as well. Um, you know, Bryn Gatlin, as we know, is a very talented, uh, very talented kid in the game um, as well. But Brad has been the constant. So he's the one. It's his voice. Um, he's running. He's running the cutter. He's organising the order of their go forward. He's determining who's in and who's out at um, contact. He's taking command 
and on the rare occasions we get to listen to, um, you know, our microphones that are close to the field, we can just hear how dominant he is in the organisation, um, off regardless of whether he's got the ball or not. We all know that he's a brilliant uh, runner and a gifted um, attacker, but it's his overall organisational um, ability. He's on the same level as TJ Pelana where it comes to organising, talking and inspiring um, the players in that close quarter stuff. I don't have any doubt that um, he's going to be a strong contender um, to go to France. I've got one bolter. Now, and it's not Sean Stevenson, and it's not Amoni Nadawa, because I think they've been in the conversation long enough. I'm going to throw the name at you. Sami Penny Finau. Now, last year, the All Blacks took Peter Gus Sawakula. They picked him on the back of a really, really impressive Super Rugby campaign, but was extensive. He played every game, and then, unfortunately for Peter Gus, he fell off a cliff, got to the next level. The, the glimpses we saw weren't quite enough, and then he, he fell out of favour very, very quickly. But clearly they were looking for something. The Summer Penny... Sammy Penny, is he that guy that in some way they want to see at the next level? Could you see that? Is that feasible in your eyes? Do you think that we have had, since Jerome Kainal stepped down, do you think that we have really had an out-and-out world-class number six? A big ball carrier, a big banger, a bully, a big dominant player on that short side to shut down all of those plays. And you go through... Um, via Fafita um, has had a go there Peter Gus so I call it in the back row has had a go um, Akira Ioane um, has had a go um, Tupulva'e a little bit of lock, a little bit of six Scott Barrett um, has had a go you know so there's been Shannon Frizzell um, so that's been... the name there, Let's, I'll stop you there I'll stop you there, so Shannon Frizzell when you, when you talk about Shannon Frizzell he's an out and out six Interesting enough, though, his impact he had at lock for the Highlanders this year when he was forced to go into the middle row through injury, he proved he could clearly play there because their scrum didn't suffer in any way, shape, or form, still remained a weapon. So Shannon Frizzell, I think, is is the guy that would probably have had the most opportunity when he's fit over the last three years. You know, when he's been fit and available, he's been the guy that's come back in. Are you are you are you doubting he's he should still be that guy? Well, I'm thinking if we can, if Finau's in the conversation, it's going to be at the expense of one of the incumbents, isn't it? In reality, so yep, it has um, to be. And if he's going, if he's going to play six, and Frizzell is the main guy they're looking at to play six, then the both of them are in the conversation, and they're going to decide over which one um, they would take. Has Frizzell dominated in that six position to the same extent? Um, what did I think? What did Jerome? I think Jerome played 83 tests, 68 starts yep. at number six. Um, and for that period, he had the number one, number six um, in the world. So, you know, will they make that late change at this stage? Um, based on Super Rugby Pacific, Finau would be an exciting selection, um, Jeff, to go. Do you like it? I like Do you it. like it? I like it. I like it. Yeah. I mean, does he give you what you're looking for? Because clearly the line-out option is critical. The The other side of that conversation is the moment you decide that, you then have Sam Whitelock, Scott Barrett, and Brody Retellick. One of those three guys isn't on the paddock to start a test match. And they're all critical in very, very different ways. So one of those players then has to play a different role in the All Blacks. Um, could that be determined by who you're playing on any given week or 
do you look at it and go, is it time to find the best impact players, the ones that will win us the last 30 minutes of a test match? And I mean, is that the biggest conundrum the All Black selectors and coaches might have as they're watching these games is the role that these players are going to fill? Because when it comes down to a, a, a female, do you think he could fill the void? Is he our next best number eight behind Artie Savia? Or do we have to find room for Hoskins to tutu? Oh, exactly. And, and, we're, and where's Paddy Tupolotu in that conversation as well? Uh, is, is Scott Barrett seriously going to be considered for the um, for the six to uh, give them that line-out option with Brody and Sam starting in the locks? In which case, um, does does Paddy go, you know, does Paddy wear the number 19 jersey? Um, then who wears the who if he wears the nine super vibe, yeah, or what happens to super vibe as well? So, you know, that number 20 jersey is that female or is that for that the impact? Because that was a fair impact player himself as well, isn't he? You know, so yeah, yeah. but I just I think there's a one that's the one name for me out of the Chiefs, and I think they'll take care of the Reds because I think you know, I, I mean, the Reds have, have shown on occasions that they're combative and tough, but then on other occasions they've been very, very poor. But even at their best, I don't think they beat they beat this Chiefs team. All right, then it all happens down in, in Christchurch. Uh, the Crusaders have got the Fiji and Drua who come, who, like I say, they go from 35 degrees in humidity. They're going to, the, to Orange Theory Stadium in Christchurch on a Saturday night, which is going to be about zero degrees. Um, against the six-time champion. Against six-time champion. They've achieved their goal though, right? The, the Drua have probably achieved their goal. They are another team that have nothing to lose. Uh, clearly, they've got some special individuals who can do some special things. But will they find out what Super Rugby is really all about on a Saturday night in Christchurch? And this will be their next piece of learning as a team. Um, that's exactly what will happen. I think they'll be very good for 20 minutes. Um, but I would expect the, um, the Crusaders are going to be out. You know, the, the Crusaders know how to play in the playoffs. So, you know, their kickoffs, their set piece, their scrum and their line will be on point. They will be they will be accurate. Richie Moonga will just turn them around and try and uh, try and frustrate them um, as well. Defensively, they'll be off the line quick. Um, the Crusaders will be very, very combative um, at the breakdown and they'll want they'll want them to uh, put a marker down in the sand, as they say. Um, but regardless, uh, even though I, I might have been a bit flippant about their six and eight losing record qualifying for the playoffs, it's been a uh, a year of huge significance for uh, for Fiji and for Pacifica Rugby for just their second year to win six games and get through um, to the playoffs. And you know, I think that there's there will be nothing about twenty twenty three that the Fijian draw team will regret. The players I really want to keep an eye on in this game. Uh... Uh, Tamati Williams is been playing at loose head for them through necessity. Oliaga comes back at tight head. Uh, the Crusaders have suffered some real challenges in their front row, losing uh, Moody and then uh, Fletcher Newell before the season virtually even started. Uh, there's no Sam Whitelock. So that in policy, insurance policy that they've had, but I expect their experience to, to come through. Uh, they'll be relieved that Mitch Drummond returns. Uh, he lipped off in the warm-up uh, last week before the Hurricanes game. That's pretty critical for them. And also the fact Willie Hines returns to the bench. So the vastly experienced halfbacks that they need, they're going to have to make sure that they just don't fall into a trap of, you know, uh, poor decisions and key times. I've got no I've got no surprises there. But for Tamati Williams, um, 
he's had a massive season. Here. I mean, he's been look. I, the one of the, the issues I'll probably have with this is you know the the All Blacks get their breaks, they get their rests, they get their moments. Sometimes the guys who just they have to do everything and every week for a Super Rugby team can can hit a bit of a wall. But this this kid clearly has got a big future in front of him. Would would you like to see him looked at for the next level? It's interesting. Tamaji Williams and Tyrell Lomax are there. I cannot think of two bigger props in world rugby than those two. You know, like Tyrell is just shy of six five. He's over six foot four. Um, yeah. Tyrell, and I think he tips in about 128 kilos. Tamaiti Williams is a similar size. They are big, um, big men. We're not used to seeing, you know, certainly a tight head prop the size of um, Tyrell and then Tamaiti. Watching the weight, now that's a big human being. That's, you know, he's yeah. carting a lot of weight around for his carries and his presence at the background, not to mention, of course, his core um, job of dominating at, um, scrum, dominating at scrum time and ensuring that they win their own ball. Um, you know, he's had a phenomenal um, year, and um, gee, he deserves to be in the conversation um, as well. And I think that you know Tyrell's biggest um, biggest asset I thought he brought when he came into the team um, in South Africa was he was the biggest prop that we had over there, and it made sense against those big South African to put the big bloke yep. in there. And now we're seeing Tamati Williams carry himself. Obviously, the benefit of um, of training and being in that environment for an extra year. Um, and he's been, and he's he's been great. Just on a on the Billy Harmon thing. So B- Billy was subjected to the All Black stand down, even though he was in the squad but didn't play. So that's a very fresh body, um, you know. And I don't know whether that's been affected in his outstanding form um, this year uh, or not. But he certainly looked fresh, um, and obviously he hasn't played as much as um, as some of the others. Um, but, you know, as you know, that's been a moot point as well, um, the All Black stand-down. Yeah. And it was quite interesting. I, I, I've been with the growing chorus of people saying that this whole stand-down thing is a joke and it's an attack on the integrity of the game until a couple of incidents in the NRL in the last couple of weeks where New South Wales have now lost their halfback and last night they lost their hooker, Api Korisau, yep. who uh, both played in the state of or- first state of origin. One's gone with a hamstring and one's gone with a broken jaw. Um, you know, had had they have been stood down, um, you know, well, obviously they wouldn't be injured now, would they, going into the That's second? Right. So I've kind of, you know, I've lightened my criticism as it was, which I've had for a long time now about the All Blacks making that decision. And I can see now the logic of, you know, managing managing their time. So, you know, maybe I'm a bit old school and a bit old-fashioned, but after watching what's happened in the NRL in the last seven days, you know, I think the the All Blacks have done the right thing by making sure that they have their best players available when the games matter. Particularly particularly if you start looking at what happens now from here, quarterfinals, semifinals, and then final, if the top two teams, and whether that includes the Blues or the Crusaders or the Chiefs, two of those three teams we see maybe going to the final, if you think about two weeks later, there's a, you're playing a game in Argentina, you return home to play against South Africa seven days later. Then in two weeks' time, you go to Australia. A week later, you've then got the Wallabies in Dunedin. Two weeks later, you're on a plane to play in South Africa in Twickenham. There is a really intensive, probably the biggest time, the, the easiest time. Well, then they'll play France. And then the easiest time will be the next month in the Rugby World Cup is where they've got Namibia, Uruguay. We've got Italy, which we will respect. But you actually then go, oh, okay, um, that, that's when they might get actually a little bit of a break. But for some of these guys, I think 
to your point, I don't necessarily think it's the rest. It's where it ended up. In, the rest ended up being in the games that ended up. They ended up resting, and you went. But that was a critical game for a fan for a derby. We wanted to see the best matchups, and that's where I think. And ultimately, I, I I do believe that the players couldn't, particularly in the high contact and challenging positions. I think it's really difficult for a player, particularly with the, the low numbers on, to go a full season to punch through it. You know. A, a fifteen rounds, you know, of rugby, and I agree with you on that. On that regard, I think we see the Crusaders getting out, but the big game for the weekend, and this I think is a critical game for Australian rugby. This next game, the Brumbies and the Hurricanes. The Hurricanes are away in Canberra. Hurricanes put on a clinic in the second forty minutes against a Crusader team that was beaten up, bashed up. Sam Whitelock had gone off, inexperienced at halfback, all of those things, but they still went out and they dominated forty minutes, which. Something they hadn't done for the previous two and a half weeks. They just didn't look like... The, they looked a different team. So they go over and they take on a Brumbies team, which for me, everyone's talked about this side. Um, and they've had some surprises for me for the Brumbies. There's been some things that they've done well that they haven't done in, in the past. They've scored some tries on the edge. Some of their counter-attacking has been ambitious. Wright's been good. Muirhead's been good. Um, Tool's been good. Uh uh, unfortunately, he's not available for this game uh, this weekend because he has been great for them. He's, he's, a, he's a live wire. I've got the Hurricanes as favourites in my mind. I think if they put on the performance they did last week, if they do that in the first 40, they could they could win this game pretty comfortably. I'm not sure how you see it. I think Cameron's been really good since he came back. Geordie Barrett looked like Geordie Barrett last weekend. Um, what do you think about this game? Is there an area that concerns you? Uh, or do you see the Brumbies being the flagship for Australian rugby right now? Well, I suppose if we look at um, Colsey, um, Tyrell, um, Artie, um, you know, logic logic will suggest that uh, the Brumbies might try and avoid that um, that contact um, and they might see more opportunities. Their history has been built on a philosophy of ruck and run of um, quick rucks and lots of quick rucks. Um, you know, I think Eddie Jones was the first coach I can recall talking publicly about the two-second recycle. Um, that has been basically what they had built their success on over the years. And um, for the Hurricanes, making tackle after tackle, getting back, going forward, getting back, going forward, as they try and counter that. Um, and the Brumbies back themselves to try to run the Hurricanes out of gas and run them off the uh, off the pitch versus... You know, the Hurricanes game, Hurricanes game, which has been strong up the middle, um, good in the halves, an outstanding young halfback who's, uh, who's in many conversations. Um, and a player who TJ Pedernata told me personally that uh, he, he said to me when I spoke to him in the off-season that he was confident that the Hurricanes wouldn't notice that he's not there. That's how much he rates this kid, Ruigard. He said, very good running game, very good talker, good, talk, good kicking game, and, he could, and the kid's tough. Um, and all of those things that TJ said to me, we have all witnessed throughout the course of the regular um, season. But it's a good Brumbies team. Uh, they've had a very good regular season. Um, I don't know that this psychological thing of feeling the weight of a nation on their uh, shoulders, 15 blokes going out to try to dominate field position and um, you know turn their position into points, and they are well capable of, uh, of doing that. At their best, the Hurricanes will win comfortably. At the Brumbies' best... They'll win comfortably. It's a great matchup this this game between these two. Yeah, you you, you see them that that Brumbies team is that good that they can find enough ways, even when they're playing well, to to dominate and win comfortably. I'm just not 
I'm not convinced on that. When you you talk about Coles and Lomax and you know, I'm, I'm, I've got so much respect for Blackwell. Really interesting selection. Duplessis Karifi was available to start. He's on the bench. So they've decided on the back of one performance last week. Braden Yossi has just been. Well, he, if, if you talk about someone who's grabbed the opportunity, Yossi is that guy for me. Is that every time he's gone out there, he's made massive impact. So they've decided Adi Savia is back at playing at seven for them. He also is at eight. Flanders has been fantastic. Like a just tough, um, uncompromising. You know, I really like this Ford pack. Uh, Numia's done, you know, he's terrific. he's grown and grown as a player. Yeah, so I, player. I sort of, I actually think they can, I think they'll surprise them up front. I really do. I, I, I think they're a weapon now. And, and that selection, I go to their bench, and this is what I'm probably even more encouraged by. Amua is off the bench. Uh, Mifaleo playing really good. Owen Franks, you got all that experience, and he he made a big difference last week. Uh, Walker Leawiri, uh, who's normally been a starter, big body. Um, Duplessis is then on the bench as well. Booth's got all of the experience. Ruben Love's come back and gives them some type of impact, and, and then Balen Sullivan, who we see haven't seen a lot of. Um, I, I I really I really like I really like this group. You know, I just and when I go head man for man with who they're up against. I mean, Jack Debrasini starting at 10, you know, for the Brumbies. Um, somebody tour at, at the, in the midfield. Um, they've got Ollie Sapsford on the wing. I, I just, I think there are areas that the, the Hurricanes can overmatch them. And, and the reason I, this comes back to the integrity of this competition. If we go through, the New Zealand guys go through, teams go through here, and it's an all New Zealand semi-final. What does that say about our, Trans Tasman brothers across uh, across the sea. Yeah, well, it will only um, you know it will only enhance the earlier conversation we had about the competition and about the level exactly. about the level of competition. I think that even if you know even if the Brumbies do get through and um, get through to the second round, it won't change this debate um, at all. So that's going to be a challenge for the leaders and administrators of our game, both here in New Zealand, Australia, and in South Africa. What and the question is, what do you want? What do you, you know? What do you want to see? What do you want to give to the fans? You know, do you want to give this competition to them next year, minus a whole host of high-profile stars that are going to leave post the World Cup, um, when there's there was already some concern over um, over some of the interest and you know some of the crowd attendances um, this year. Like I like I said earlier, this absolutely is you know. Also, we all celebrate when we're at this stage of the year. This is a watershed moment for Super Rugby. You know, what are we doing from here where we used to set the standard? This used to be the best provincial competition um, in the world. It used to be the fastest, the most intense, the most unpredictable, um, and it had all the best players. You know, and, and as we know, it's largely a summer competition played in hot weather on hard grounds. And as a result, it's been a hugely entertaining spectacle um, over the years. That's what everybody wants. Everybody wants, you know, a good day, the best teams, the best players, traditional, you know, traditional rivalries, you know, the best of South Africa playing the best of Australia, the best of New Zealand up against the best of those other two, all of those kinds of um, things are then allowing for, uh, you know, new representation in the Pacific and, you know, maybe at some point, you know, what are we going to do about Japan um, and their professional involvement um, in the game after a short cameo? Um, with the Sunwolves. So, you know, I think regardless of the result of the games, those debate that debate's going to be there, um, Jeff, and I just hope that we've, you know, that we've got people strong enough in character and vision to be able to see the ultimate 
for um, and design a competition that will be absolutely compelling, you know, for um, for the fans and obviously for the players and for the organisations um, themselves. So, you know, I don't think, um, as I said, regardless of the scores of today's, of this weekend's games, that that's going to change the debate. So adding to that then, if you're going to get world-class teams and world-class players, you need world-class coaching. So New Zealand's gone through a search over the last six weeks, eight weeks since the new all-black coaching team was announced. Leon McDonald joining Scott Robertson, Jason Holland. So all of a sudden, three franchises looking for new head coaches. We've had guys rule themselves out, the likes of a Chris Gibbs saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to go and, and compete for the head job. Uh, what we've then already seen is that Rob Penny has returned to New Zealand after a, a, a stint away overseas for a number of years. He's going to take the Crusaders. Um, Clark Laidlaw has pivoted away from the sevens and the under-20s. He's going to go to the Hurricanes, a place where he coached as an assistant coach a number of years ago. And then talk is that Vern Cotter's in the conversation for the Blues. Now, I don't know about that uh, in regards to the Blues right now, but Moana Pacifica are also chasing. Clearly, they're looking for a new head coach. Um, where their assistant coaches sit right now, I don't know. They'll be in full review mode about where um, uh, Philo Tiatia and that sit with right now. I mean, Ross Filippo heard he was in a conversation he wasn't in a conversation with, which was quite, he, you know, someone had thrown his name out there. Uh, are we are we right to go back in the meantime, back to the vast experience? Is that good for our game if we're bringing that into our environment? Is the, is the role of the coach changing so significant to, significantly to that manager profile with a big band of coaches underneath them? Can we fill those roles or should that head coach be coaching? Should be should he be on the field? Uh, you know, uh, certainly a lot of growth that needs to happen down in Dunedin, but they're committing to Clark Dermody and Tom Donnelly and his young group of guys. Uh, you look at the the names that are now reintroducing themselves to Super Rugby Ken. Is it a good thing? Um, Pat Riley is in his seventies um, at the Miami Heat. Uh, Greg Popovich is in his um, is in his seventies. Wayne Bennett is um, is 73. Sir Alex Ferguson was 74 in his last year at um, at Manchester United. Um, Steve Hansen is only 62 years old. Um, Smithy's only 65 um, years old. Um, Rob Penny's, well, Rob's only 59, I think, um, coming in. So if you talk about world-class um, coaches, if I was, if I had anything to do with the Hurricanes, the first guy I would have gone after would have been Steve Hanson. Um, and if not Steve, I would have gone. For, I would have gone for Smithy um, to coach. What's Ian Foster going to do next year? There's no way that he's going to know less about football this time next year than he knows now. Um, you know, there's a wonderful football brain that's um, going to be available um, to someone. You know, if nobody in New Zealand takes him, you, you can bet dollars to donuts he's going to end up in Japan or in France, or somewhere in Europe. Um, so, you know, world-class. Well, Clark Lagler is not a world-class um, 15s coach yet. He's a world-class 7s um, coach, yeah. but as far as the 15s are concerned, he's a work in progress. Um, well, Vern Cotter, um, well, everybody thought he was going to be in charge of Fiji at the World Cup. Uh, they've just appointed Simon, what is it, Rawanui? To take them, and he's got... Uh, with a limited lead, and he's got to try to do the best that he can um, with them. You know, doesn't have a head coach record um, down this end of the world. It doesn't mean he can't. Um, you know, is he the right fit 
for um, you know, who knows Dave Rennie. Well, in the end, we couldn't afford Dave Rennie, could we? The New Zealand game, no. he was basically three times the money in um, in Kobe. So, you know, if you that's a very good point that you raise. If it's world class, then it's the best coaches, the best chief executives, the best chair, and the best playing rosters with the best sponsors. That's the definition of world class. Playing in front of um, packed houses every week, you know. Think back to the Green Bay Packers. Every home game sold out since 1967. You know, I always thought at some at somehow that Super Rugby one day would get to that. Certainly, the first you know iteration that we got of Super Rugby with average crowds down here in Wellington, 28,000 was the average home home game crowd. You know, we'd love to get back to those um, to those halcyon days where um, it was the only show in town. But it's, you know, it's a very competitive economy we live in now with disposable uh, income. We have to be competitive and create, you know, match day experiences that are, you know, compelling and force people to come back every week. And, and that's, you know, and, and, and I think we've documented and talked about it previously on this podcast and on the breakdown as well about that clear uh, level of talent that's hitting offshore. You know, you lose a, a Lester Whanganuku and you go, when he talks about the fact that, He's going up against and he wants to challenge himself in a different way. Clearly, he's getting well compensated. Uh, these are serious challenges that, that are going forward. The one thing that I'm, you know, I'm hopeful of is that now we've got a, a hopefully a settled all-black coaching um, contingent who have got the next four years to, to, um, to embed themselves in the all-blacks, to bring their own style. And clearly, I want, I want them to bring success. And if they can bring success, hopefully then what we can do is we can get that that information sharing, which I think is in some way lost. And yes, we might have all this great experience coming into these franchises, but for us to grow, I think a lot of it is in terms of our ability to coordinate our ideas and work together and, and how we grow the game. And I, I you know, and there's no doubt that each franchise can play their different styles, but we need this information flow to come from the top. And it needs to be, I think, it needs to be linked. It needs to bring together. And I'm hoping that that's what Wayne Smith's new role actually involves, is that it's not just isolated with the highest international level. It's then reconnecting with our super rugby coaches who then have a deeper connection to our provincial union coaches who then have a, a an understanding how to deliver that to a club coach, to a school coach, to a all of this these little things, which I know and believe were done so very, very well when he, when we had that, um, uh, Graham Henry, Steve Hansen, uh, Wayne Smith, Mike Cron, Mick Byrne, their, their, their information sharing across our whole under-20 program was so significant. And most of the under-20 coaches that went to the program and went to the days were actually NPC coaches. Were you know that's, uh, There was another 28 because it was usually most, most places had two. So you had 28 other coaches you know, getting all of this information and discussion to get more growth in our game, Ken. And that's what I'm hopeful of because when I saw our under-20 team play um, the other day at Wellington and you were commentating it, bringing great enthusiasm, um, as you always do to your commentary, and, uh, and I love hearing it, but I went and watched it there and I said, Rockstar backline, dynamic loose forwards, and then numbers one through five, nowhere near mature enough and developed enough and closer to Super Rugby, which is unfortunately what we're talking about now. We've got kids that are having to go into Super Rugby squads. I've, I've got concerns. We're, con- we're converting loose forwards into props, you know, late in their teens and expecting them to go out and, and play one of the most competitive and difficult positions against, you know, 
in some cases, world-class props, you know, coming up against the Tyrell Lomax. So that under-20 game for you, and you've got a lens on these kids coming through school. You've seen most of them, talked about most of them. When you saw that group, what is it you saw? If I take you back to 2011 under-20s team, regarded as probably our greatest under-20 team of, um, of all time. And out of that came 12 All Blacks plus Gareth Anscombe and um, yep. uh, Brad, Brad Shields, who Brad played Shields, for yeah. Wales and played for England. They were in that 2011 team. And then we look at the team that got pumped in the scrums um, on the weekend at, um, at Sky Stadium. Um, and you talk about the numbers one through five. Now, let's project ahead to um, two days before the selection of the all-black team for 2024. Dane Coles' name won't be on that list. I'm not sure whether Cody Taylor has committed or where he's going to be um, next year, so I apologise if I've wrongly put his name in the conversation. But Bro- no, I don't think he's going to be Brody's, uh, Brody's name won't be on the list. Sam Whitelock's name won't be on the list. Adi Savia's name won't be on the list. Aaron Smith's name won't be on the list. Bowden Barrett and Richie Moonga's names won't be on the list um, as well. Shannon Frizzell. Shannon Frizzell. So um, normally we would be excited about what potentially could be coming through in the next generation. But in the context of, and I'm not saying for a minute that, you know, the team that played on think that they're going to step in um, to the All Black shoes next year. That, that's not going to happen. But the point that I am I am making is that that under-20 that under program is that they're a six-time World Cup champion, that under-20s program, and out of that have come a huge number of uh, All Blacks mm. that went on to the 2011-2015 World Cup um, success, the kids that came out of that um, out of that program. So I am, I am worried that, um, and of course, um, France... They won the 2018-2019 uh, Rugby World Cup, and I'm hearing reports that the dominant players from that era are now in the French um, are now in the French national side, getting ready. Not all of them, but some key players in that World Cup. So I do have some concerns. Firstly, that um, do we have the quality and calibre of players to replace those you know that are going that have played a huge amount of um, huge amount of tests, including a couple of centurions. Um, that are in that group we talked about a moment ago. Um, and then having said that, um, you know, what is there for us to get enthused about in the future when we saw a scrum going backwards against an Australian team? And yet they're going to... And, that, and that's not even talking about France, England, Ireland yet at under-20 oh. level um, as well. So, you know, Clark Laidlaw is going to need to sharpen his pencil pretty quickly um, ahead of their own uh, World Cup in South Africa coming up in about three weeks. Where does it start for that? Where does it start for these for those guys? Like in terms of, I mean, you've seen the development of kids over time, and what is it, and particularly these young players, and, and when when does it start for them in terms of getting the necessary and right and coaching which advances their abilities, and what is it becomes really important and fundamental by the time that they start ending up in an under twenty program? What are the, you know, like, and that's where this. You know, the number of loose forwards now who all of a sudden you're not tall enough to be a um, an international or a, a first-class loose forward. So realistically, your best chance is to be in the front row. That, it's conversations that happen all the time now, you know. And so all of a sudden you're converting a guy who's clearly got a big frame, big body, and you're going, well, now I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to teach you how to scrum 
Uh, I'm going to teach you how to lift and align out. These are all things that are really specific and, and detailed skills. They're not they're not easy to learn overnight, are they, Ken? No. So so is that is that part is that part of our? I mean, is, are we not? Are we not selling the front row well enough? You know, are we not saying, well, you know, this is, are we not seeing it early enough? Are we not um, giving it the detail? And, and is it is it not an important part of our growth here in New Zealand? And is, do we need to put more attention onto that? Well, you know, in our junior grades, they don't play full tackle uh, when they first come into the game, as you know. So they play ripper um, for a while. And I've had a little bit to do with under 13s, under 14s down here over the years. All of those representative teams when they used to go to tournament were dominated by kids who played rugby league because they were superior defenders and have been tackling for longer. Um, and then subsequent to that, we've seen the demise of um, you know of of our age grade tournaments, saying that representative um, football at too young an age was um, uh, wasn't good, and that the, you know players would be better off to you know go and draw pictures of dolphins or whatever. Um, and not go to those, um, you know, not go to those traditional, um, those traditional age grade tournaments uh, um, that we used to have. So, you know, getting that level of instruction and getting that level of um, things coming at a much later age now than it was um, previously. Now, I'd, you know, and it's been sold to us on the fact that we're trying to instill these skills in them too young when they should be playing for fun um, and enjoying themselves. And I wonder whether we need to revisit. Because in my view, by the time you get to an under-16 representative side, you need to know how to play. Um, and, you know, people, there might be some people watching this podcast that think I'm an idiot. But if you're a 16-year-old and you can't handle yourself in contact, then you're not going to get picked at under-18 level. And then you're only 18 months away from under-20s. So in my view, by the time you get to under-16, you need to have a proper, you need to be eating properly, you need to have a proper strength and conditioning program. And if you're going to be a tight head, you need to know, you need to know what's required to get down and to be, you know, obviously you need to be strong in the upper body, powerful, and all of those things. You know, because if you're not, you'll get beat by a kid who is. And, um, you know, not, we've always prided ourselves previously in kind of understanding that logic and making sure we get our kids up and ready and ready to go. But, you know, I don't know whether we live in a society now where we're almost turned off from um, you know, from inculcating inculcating in their head at an early age that it's time for them to get serious. But you know, so you know, I'm not sure. I thought it was a ridiculous decision to get rid of under 13 representative teams, get rid of regional um, tournaments. And I'm, I know down here you go through an under 13 um, team from you know 15, 16 years ago. You'll see some unbelievable names in the Julian Savia. Danny Hardy, Savia, Thomas and Scott Waldron's name, Brad Shields, yep. was a graduate of under-13. Rugby, Asafal Moore was a second five. And the Hutt Valley under All of those kinds of um, things. Yep. Well, they don't exist now, you know, because, you know, somebody somebody sitting in a dark room said it wasn't good for the kids. You know? Yeah, and I, and I must admit, you know, I think we are starting to see that. I think there are kids who would love that knowledge, who would love that intensity, who would love that growth, uh, you know, um, we've we've all of a sudden we've become so focused on the majority and trying to create this this um, utopian world where everyone's happy and enjoying themselves. You can still do that, but, but but ultimately, there's a pathway that you can help, particularly in skill positions, and and there's some of the most simplest things. You know, and you know, and, and look, I I was a winger, but watching um, um, uh, Mike Cron go about a a a scrum session with a forward pack with. And, 
yeah, it's exciting. You're sitting there watching these kids learning, and all of a sudden they something with click and a bind and a pushing position, and a, all of a sudden the coordination of the front row and their ability, you know, to to function. It just all to me is something I feel as though that we're losing. And I think once again, I think it's that information flow and then the ability to to service and provide those specialist positions, particularly ones which I see now areas that we we are struggling but are an when i say struggling we're searching for guys and they're having to learn at an international level and you're that's not the place to learn exactly you know, that's that's just too hard that's that's too hard no. a world to grow that's up where you, in. Go, that's where, you know that's where you go to win yeah yeah you go to yeah. win right and so i think this is where to your point and the point about this you know um the resting of players and you know ultimately what is what's Ian Foster going to have the Monday after the Super Rugby final? What's he going to have to his and, and, and what shape are they going to be in and where are they going to be out of their season and you know um, how much energy and and have they put into the last month or how much have they actually buttoned off because you know they oh you've had a big season already in terms of your workload we're buttoning off and we're timing our run but there's another run that's a, just a more important run so I, I I heed your words there I wonder whether or not it needs to be revisited. Um, it needs to be understood the impact of not having these elite groups of players who clearly have the nourish, uh, the and, and nourishment and desire to learn and get better. I'd like to think that that's on the that's on the table. Well, that under, that under, hey, that under 20s team, that's the first generation of that no elite program. Under, and I think we need to take that on board. We need to take that on board and and, re, and, and assess what that's going to mean. Um, and wonder where it's where it's been, and and I think the greatest example of it, and where it works, if you put experience together, and you put it in an environment with talent, you win a rugby world cup, and the Black Ferns did that, and that's exactly. what they got in Wayne Smith and Graham Henry. At how old is Ted now? Yeah. He must Ted be must be early mid seventies, mid seventies. Yeah, in seventies. To your so point sharp. about those senior coaches, those senior coaches, you throw in. You know, you throw in um, uh, um, Micron and then you put Wayne Smith to them and you give them all that wealth and knowledge and we see a completely different team. But that should that should be the lesson in itself is the fact that, you know, how much a team could improve and the things that they saw, we need to be able to pass that down. Yeah. Mate, that's an hour, man. We've knocked that right. out. That was that was boom, just like that. Mate, I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to this weekend. Um, I agree with you around... Uh, Super Rugby. These are conversations we've got to keep having. Um, but in saying that, if I got to see the Chiefs play the Hurricanes and the Crusaders play the Blues next weekend, that'd be one hell of a yeah, weekend, weekend right? for New Zealand. All, All right, right, mate. Thanks very much, as always. No worries, Ken, I look forward to the next, next one. You're a beautiful, beautiful right, man. Right, hold there, hold there.